Time is running out for the planet Earth. It's impervious to all voices. It's an intriguing sensation. It's a nuclear device. Fun, fun, fun! Yes, that's nice. Statistically speaking, of course, it's still the safest way to travel. It belongs to a creature from outer space. It's a bird! It's a plane! It's very important. It does not confuse. Hi everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Geek Shell Inherit. I'm Daniel Pickett. I'm Jason Lindsay. And oh boy, you know, we're gonna talk about Man of Steel, but not yet. I know everyone's uh, been anxious to see what our our thoughts and feelings and views on it are. But we're going to do the same thing that we do uh, when it, it's still a little too close to release, where we'll talk about it at the end, so we can talk freely. We'll give you plenty of time to uh, to decide whether you want to hear it or not. If you've seen that, now, and then uh, wait, wait a second. What what episode is this? This uh, we are on seventy eight. I think I can safely say seventy eight episodes into this show, as an opening, <clears throat> you always you know open the show. Yes. That is the saddest I've ever heard you in seven <laughs> episodes. Well, there's plenty of other things every, that uh, I am looking forward to talking about. But every episode you're like, hey, everybody, welcome to the – and boy, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. It's going to be up. It's going to be down. Blah, blah, blah. This was you today. Uh, yeah. So we're going to have to talk about Man of Steel. Like just – you're just like that kid that the, the football got taken away and you went to bed with no supper – and uh, you've been grounded. You are, you can. It's it's audible in your voice how let down you are already. Yes, not not to telegraph too much, but yes, I, I am. I think it's pretty apparent. <laughs> <laughs> you got let down. You didn't didn't get what you wanted under the tree. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we'll do that. But it's funny though, uh, you know, and, and we'll get to this. But with Star Trek, with this, uh, with Prometheus, it's it for me. I am. I feel like I am having to uh, s- sort of start reeling in my excitement for things. Like right now, I'm worried about. Boy, I wonder if I'm going to like uh, Pacific Rim, for instance. And yet, you know, yeah, it's interesting you say that because it, it's kind of that. Does it mean that there's a trend now? Like there was a time there where everything we were looking forward to would sort of pan out and, you know, 70, 60, 70, 75% of it turned out to be okay and even turned the naysayers around. The people that weren't into this stuff started to go to it. Are we, are we hitting a, a backlash here? Is it like, is it, has it reached its zenith and now it's diminishing returns? Uh, will, will people learn from these sort of things? You know, I don't know. And yet at the same time, the movie has made buckets of money and and i will be the first to say i'm 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 while i'm disappointed i'm glad of that so we're going to get more superman stories and more ways to you know to get it right i feel to get it right um superman returns we we kind of knew two or three weeks into it that it was we probably weren't going to get another one like it just didn't seem like it was there was a positive vibe going around and certainly not box office but right. this one, I think, is 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 the opposite. So, so and that's not to say that everything about it is is terrible. There there were things about it I enjoyed. No, but we'll get to that. Yeah, and we can certainly, when we get to it, we can we can start with the things that that worked or that we liked, not to be those 
grumpy guys. But um, let's 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 start off positively here in the show, as we always do, with what we're excited about. All right. Uh, this was one. Th- this is funny because this was uh, something that had been announced uh, almost a year ago that they were making a film based on Lego. What? Uh, yeah. And, you know, I think when we all heard that, we went, I don't know who would want to see that. Uh, you know, we've we've certainly had the precedent of not great films based on toy properties with the first G.I. Joe, with all the Transformers, with Battleship. Uh, so, but, you know, Lego, to their credit, their games, and when they make the animated shorts, usually those 30-minute things, very, very funny. But still, a feature film just based on random Lego seemed like a very odd choice. Mm. So they have released a teaser trailer now, and uh, I think it was surprising because... And and what was unexpected to me is, in the film, you're going to see Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, the Ninja Turtles, uh, some NBA stars, all in Lego form. Hmm. Uh, which I was not expecting that they would bring in like those licenses, but it's got a pretty incredible cast. Like Morgan Friedman is in it, yeah. Liam Neeson is in it, uh, Chris uh, Chris Pratt. That, that's the kid's name from Parks and Rec, right? Uh, yeah, the one he's in. Um, he's in Guardians of the Guardians Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. Yeah, he's in it. Uh, Will Arnett, Nick Offerman, uh, Allison Brie. I mean, that, that's a pretty impressive voice cast. Yeah. Uh, the interesting. What's that? I said, yeah. The interesting thing with the with the things they've done, like the Star Wars and the and the animated Batman, uh, they it's all CG. But for some reason, with the style of this film, I believe it is still CG. But they are making it look like it is stop motion animation. Oh. But it's the trailer looks very very funny. It's just a teaser, just to whet your appetite, but. Seeing that, I went, okay, that's completely turned me around on, on what this project could be. So I'm excited. It's not coming out until February 2014, so we've got some time to wait. But uh, I, was, I was very pleasantly surprised by that new teaser trailer. Oh, that's fun. You're, yeah. That's good. And you're a big Lego guy, so that's right up your, right up your alley. Yeah. Something else just got de- – what was it that just got delayed until – oh, Sin City. Oh, Sin City 2, uh, A Dame to Kill For, just got uh-huh. delayed to August 2014. Oh, so wow. So it was supposed to, I think it was supposed to come out this August or September, and it's been pushed an entire year. And supposedly, uh, Rodriguez is saying it's just because of um, effects work. Well, also, uh, the other one that was announced that got pushed... I think it got pushed to 2015 was uh, Jurassic Park 4, right? Oh, I haven't heard that. I haven't heard anything about that. Yeah, it was supposed to come in 2014, but I think I just read this week that they pushed it to 2015. Well, then I heard something a while ago from Sam Neill. He was cornered on some red carpet or something, and he said he had understood, or his, his understanding was that it was going to be a complete reboot. In other words, they were getting other actors to play the same characters, almost like it was going to be a slight remake of the first one. Oh, that's weird. But maybe he's getting his information wrong because they were asking, are you involved with it? And he was saying, no, they're, 
they're starting over with with new people. And I, he made it sound like they were recasting all the parts. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I feel like the first one still holds up. I think it does. story story and technology wise. I think it does. I think it's it's one of those movies that everybody loved and was mega, and then you know, ten years later, everybody says how how bad it was and this and that. But I, I think it holds up pretty well, especially as a as a Spielberg film. You know, it was still he was still had that. And, it, and, it, and it, there are there are little snippets of it here and there in, in some of what he does. I don't, I'm not saying he's a hack and he's like lost his mojo, but there was always like a, a sort of dark sense of humor that he had. There was always, if there was violence, for the most part, um, when it went, when it got pushed, there was sort of a, a dark, uh, a darkly humorous edge to it. I think. Um, right. Th- there was, you know, flat out violence. But then there was some stuff that's that's you know that has that cleverness to it that's very Spielberg, um, and there was some stuff in you know like um, I think of the thing um, this is this is a bad example where violence is concerned but you know the the bit in Jurassic Park where the T Rex is chasing the Jeep, yes. and that the they look in the side mirror and it says objects in mirror. Are, are maybe closer than they appear or something. Yeah. You know, yeah. little winky things like that that he was so good at that I feel like they just they just aren't there as much anymore. Um, and, you know, there was there was a darkness to, to Jurassic Park, like the danger that those kids were put in. Oh, sure. Especially in that that first attack from the T-Rex. I mean, that's, that's incredibly violent. You know, yeah. they, they get pretty beat up. Um, so I, I think a lot of that holds up real well. The first one. I mean, then, then it just went insane. Like that second one was what? The Which was the one where where they the dinosaurs came to San Diego and it was really like the media center at Burbank. The, uh, that was um, that was the, was that three? That was the second one. That was the second one. Yeah, and that was the one where you remember Jeff Goldblum has has a daughter. Oh right, and yeah. She does the gymnastics and beats up the Velociraptors. <laughs> yes, like you do. Yeah, that was the. That was the second one. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, well, I'm excited about something I just found out about. Um, word it may have been out for a bit, but I just got word of this, and I'm very, very excited. Um, in September, I believe September 9th, I think it's a U.S. and U.K. simultaneous release, they are putting out a box set for The Clash. Uh, it is called Sound System. It is um, the the first five studio albums, I believe. There's a couple of CDs of extras. There's a couple of DVDs. Uh, I think a, one is a concert thing. The other one is, is all their videos. It's got uh, reprints of fanzines from the late 70s, early 80s. It's got reprints of uh, concert programs, photographs, stickers, buttons, Dog tags that say The Clash, you know, metal dog tags with The Clash logo on them. Uh, backstage passes, you know, all kinds of goodies. The CDs themselves look like albums. Like when you pull them out of the box or the case, they they look like a, a vinyl record with the label oh, on the cool. inside and everything. Um, even one of the things they have is a reprint of a set list that... In, in Joe Strummer's, you know, handwriting that would have been on, on stage. 
Oh, that's cool. And then one of the neatest things is it all comes in a reproduction boombox, a cardboard boombox that was the, the one that, um, that Paul Simonon carried around uh, in New York uh, in all that great footage from the, the shows they did in New York in, in, uh, in 80 or whatever it was. Uh, and it, it's, a, it's a repro of his boombox, you know, the way it was all spray painted like camouflage colors and different things on it. It just looks like an amazing set, and I, I love it when they do stuff like this. And, you know, it can be a little pricey sometimes, but I, I'm a bit of a completist with certain, you know, uh, artists, and I, I love it when they dig out all the B-sides and live cuts and alternate takes and all that, but then they go the extra mile and package it like this with all these goodies and stuff. Uh, so I, I love that stuff, and that is coming out September 9th, so I'm very excited to get my mitts on that. Do you have your pre-order in already I do, so you don't I miss it? Do you have my pre-order in? Uh, I'm very, very, very excited. Do you have a favorite Clash song that you can recommend for folks? Ooh. Yeah, see? You know, it's, it's cliche, but... Um, uh, London Calling is one of my favorite records of all time, okay. and it's total cliche, but the, the track London Calling, I think, just sums up The Clash uh, perfectly. Um, and Lost in the Supermarket is one of my favorites. Um, both, I'm sure, you can, you can find in different, in different versions on, on YouTube. Um, oh, God, there's so, there's so many. Um, I'd start with, start with those. Like London Calling to me is just like the clash. It's just, you hear that and you know that guitar and you know that bass line. And it's just, it's, it's right when they started to, to get more universally accepted with that, that record. And Train in Vain too, which was uh, a hidden track. I think legend has it that, that, that was unlisted on the original vinyl pressing of London Calling. Um, and, uh, London Calling was, it was a double album, which the label didn't want to do, but they somehow snuck it past the label and made it seem like the second vinyl, the second record was going to be like a single with extra tracks or something. And it ended up being a double album. Um, oh, okay. But Train and Bang was, was not listed, was not in the track listing. Um, so it was like a surprise cut. Uh, hmm. So uh, all those are from the same record, but I just I love that album so much. Uh, and Sandinista, I think, is, is an underrated record, too, because, you know, just stuff like, um, you know, a lot of stuff off of that. They were, they were getting into uh, a lot of the urban stuff and a lot of hip hop. And, and um, you hear it in, you know, um, stuff off of Sandinista uh, here and there. And it and it. You know, it was groundbreaking in a way that, like, Blondie, you know, doing uh, Rapture, having, a, you know, her rap right. in, a, in a, a mainstream pop record. Like, that had never been done. Yeah. And it, they were getting into that stuff. Uh, the New Wave was getting into this stuff, uh, which was very cool, crossing over like that. And The Clash were really good about that. That was mainly Mick Jones, which you really, you know, when, once he went off when The Clash folded and he... Um, Big Audio Dynamite, you really heard the way he was morphing all that stuff into one unit and, and the influences that he brought with him from The Clash. Um, anyway, I could ramble about that, but it, it looks like a really cool set, so I'm, I'm pumped. 
Well, I also ordered an album last night that I'm I'm not sure uh, where it's going to fall on my scale of things, but I'm trusting the artist. Okay. Uh, I have his first album, so I'm willing to give his second one a try, even though the subject matter may be a little outside my purview. Is it Roger Whitaker? No. Oh. It's the new Rick Moranis album. Oh, no kidding. Yes. <laughs> Only you. Only you would have Rick Moranis' first album. Now, I love his first album. Tell the folks at home, everybody knows who Rick Moranis is. But right. For those of you out Ghostbusters, there. Ghostbusters, Little Shop of Horrors, the McKinsey Brothers, SCTV. Absolutely. Those that you, Rick Moranis. For those of you out there that have been wondering what the hell happened to Rick Moranis, where has he been? Um, well, it's, it's, it's kind of bittersweet because his, his wife got real sick and, and then subsequently passed away. And he, you know, looked after her. But then once, once she died, he concentrated all his energy on raising his, his two boys. Uh, That's right. He essentially left show business. Yeah, left show business. And has turned down numerous projects. Oh, I can only imagine. McKinsey Brothers Reunion, McKinsey Brothers Animated Series, just all these things well, that, did, that people have tried to. He did do a reunion. He did do I'll, – I'll get to that because I, I think I've talked about it once before. But let's go back and you tell everybody – what he has been doing. So in, in 2005, he released an album called The uh, Agoraphobic Cowboy. Uh, <laughs> that was a, a country album that was actually nominated for a Grammy. <laughs> and uh, it's very sort of funny and, and, and you know, there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek stuff. But at its core, it is a very lovely sort of old-school uh, sort of original Hank Williams country album. <laughs> so uh, there's a, a lot of good good tracks uh, on that. So that was 2005. Now he has this new album that is called My Mother's Brisket and Other Love Stories. See, this to me that, falls into some of the humorous stuff that you like. It seems like it would fall into the, not necessarily the Weird Al full-out you know, parody stuff, but the, the tongue-in-cheek kind of songwriting that you enjoy oh i think this is well within that oh it is okay oh yes uh and as i understand it it is uh, it is all based on his jewish faith oh uh he said as he was you know like going as far back you know sctv and before uh in his sketch writing he felt like there was always sort of a secularness to the entertainment industry and he would write things that he and his writing partner would end up saying that's too jewish Oh. You know, can't do that. <laughs> and so this album, <laughs> apparently, is uh, his expression of never having to worry about anything being too Jewish. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. So I don't know how it's going to be. I am not Jewish myself, but I'm, I'm, I am trusting the, on the merits of I enjoy his work. I enjoyed his first album. Uh, and there may be some hidden gems on this. So I have ordered that. It's out now. You can buy it digitally or you can get a physical copy of it, too. So. Nice. I actually have yeah. been um, been going a little crazy now that we're on the music kick. And I feel that we can talk about it. Um, I've been going a little crazy here and there, um, getting some, some different things uh, recently, um, kind of lucking out on, on a few things. Um, first of all, Blur. Uh, I had no idea we're re-releasing uh, or releasing. Sorry, Blur are re-releasing all of their studio records, but they're remastered 
and each one comes with a separate disc, which is all the B-sides and, and, you know, live cuts or alternate things. You know, this, this takes me back to a time, I was just talking about this with somebody and getting really bittersweet and melancholy. It takes me back to a time like first moving out to L.A., and going to the Virgin Megastore. So this is like 95, 1995 or so. And going to the Virgin Megastore on Sunset, uh, but being broke. I mean, I was, there were times where I was just flat out broke, either in between gigs or, you know, certain bills came in or whatever. And these import singles would come in from Oasis or Blur or Supergrass, the whole Britpop thing that I was so into. And when they would release these singles in the UK, they would release them in two parts. So the song would come out, you know, disc one, disc two, and they would do that so that each disc could have two or three bonus tracks on it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, one single, uh, two different discs, you could end up getting between five and six extra tracks that you'd never heard before. And they did that because both singles, part one and two, charted in the UK singles chart. So it was a real clever way to to get extra uh, mileage out of the singles. Um, But each one was like 10 bucks. And there were times where I was so broke, I could only get like one of them on a trip or something. And so I look look at this, you know, uh, rundown of all these B-sides on the second Blur disc. I could pick up Park Life, uh, which is probably my favorite Blur record. And the, I looked at the, all these, I thought, oh, these are all the B-sides I never was able to pick up back in 95 that I, I didn't have the bread for at the time. Now I get them all in, in one go. So I grabbed that, which is, is great, just to have the remastered disc. Um, I also picked up, I'm a huge fan of a band called Jellyfish. Um, they came out of the San Francisco scene in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. They only made two albums first one's called Belly Button, and the second one is called Spilt Milk. And you know how we talk about certain artists and you go, uh, you know, there's, there's only a handful of original sort of sounds out there. Like when you hear Kate Bush, you go, that's Kate Bush. And, and no one has ever come close to sounding like Kate Bush right. or her vibe or whatever, you know. Some people have tried, you know, like like the Tori Amoses of the world, and, and they end up sounding like they're trying to do an impression of Kate Bush. But, you know, true originals. And Queen fall into that, too. Like, how many bands can you think, you know, tried to emulate Queen in any way? They were just a, a, such an original. Well, Jellyfish came close. Jellyfish, their influences were were Queen, the Beatles, Wings. They were almost more influenced by Paul McCartney and Wings than the Beatles. Um, some Beach Boys harmonies and things like that. And the, the, the second record, Spilt Milk, is just pure genius, every single track. And um, somebody put out this really cool disc called uh, Stack of Tracks, and it's Jellyfish. It's their fir- the two records, but completely instrumental. They, they all, it's, the, it's the exact two albums. They haven't fudged anything. They've just taken the vocals out. So you can really appreciate the layering uh, of all the instruments and all the little fiddly bits that are in there that you may not have uh, have caught first time around. And you can sing along. And you can sing along. It truly is. You're in the car going, oh my God, this is like karaoke. I can do Jellyfish karaoke with the two albums. Um, I took the- By the way, Jellyfish Karaoke is the name of my first album. 
that's actually a great name for for an album or a band, Jellyfish Karaoke. Yeah. Um, I also ended up did I did pick up the um, Wings Over America live uh, box set collection uh, mega coffee table. It is it is a coffee table. This thing it is it is huge. The it, it it's it's hard to lug around. It, I swear to God, it weighs like twelve pounds. This thing, but it's loaded with with stuff. Um, and I picked up uh, Miles Kane, uh, his first album. He's a a youngster from uh, the UK that's very, very mod, very, a lot of his stuff sounds like it came right out of 1966. He, uh, he's been in a couple of different bands. He's buddies with the uh, Arctic Monkeys and uh, did a record with um, the lead singer, songwriter from the Arctic Monkeys, where they were called The Last Shadow Puppets, um, which had, again, that mod feel, but had strings in there like, a Morricone soundtrack almost. It was really good stuff. So his new record is out any day, and he's collaborated with Paul Weller on a couple of tracks on the new record. Oh, okay. Uh, but I picked this one up because I'd, I'd heard lots off of it but never got it. Um, and it's just uh, it's called um, uh, Color of the Trap is the name of his first record. But if you like that scene, if you like the... The mod scene and the Beatles and the Kinks and the Stones and that vibe from back then, then you'll probably dig his stuff. Um, so I've been getting a lot of. It, it's nice. I go on these bursts of suddenly grabbing loads of music where I haven't picked anything up for months, uh, yeah. which I love. Um, so I'm um, uh, I'm digging that in a music nice. music phase. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about more happy stuff before we have to get to this. Well, for uh, for movie stuff, last week we touched a little bit on Prometheus and the possibility of Prometheus two, and there was some new news that came out this week about that. Yes, that they are looking at a new writer, and uh, apparently David Lindelof will not be involved in this. How come? Uh, apparently, he's uh, he's feeling the heat and he's walking away. Is that the case? Is that what happened? I think that sounds like it, yeah. He just thought, I so don't that, want to do it anymore. Yeah, they're they're looking at a new writer. They don't have him quite signed yet. Uh, let me see if I can remember what his name was. Yeah, I remember reading this news, and the guy the, he didn't seem like he was um, he had done a whole lot of stuff. But yeah. honest to God, uh, my great aunt Loretta would be a better choice, frankly, than what we were given. Jack Paglin. Oh, Jack, Jack Paglin. Uh, I guess who also wrote Transcendence. Transcendence. Is he's being spoken to uh, to potentially do that for for the new Prometheus? My autobiography, Transcendent. Yes. Um, that's. Brutal. But they're saying Naomi, Naomi, what's her name? Rapace. Numi, Numi Rapace. Numi Rapace and Michael Fassbender are both expected to return. What about Fassbender's body? Just is his head back or a full body? Well, she t- I think she took all that with him. Right, but did she get it back together? Well, I don't know. That's that's what we'll see. I, I don't think we can have uh, a film set in that universe without uh, an android with missing parts. Headless, headless android. Another good Head, yeah. another good name for a band. Yes, the headless android. Headless android. Um, speaking of headless androids, uh, I found some cool toys. Oh. I don't usually find many cool things uh, out in in public, <laughs> um, but I found some neat things. I found you you only find the cool things in the privacy of your own well, home. Well, on the internet, you know. 
oh, just a, a click away. Um, I found, and I, you know, I'm I'm not against the mini mates that the kids love so much. Yes. I'm not against them. I think some of them are down, downright cute. Yes. Um, just never been my my bag. But now and then, I'll I'll pick up. Uh, pick up the odd set. I picked up uh, a couple of sets a while back that were real fun. One of them was uh, The Thing and oh, who, was, who did he come with? I forgot who he came with, but it was so neat because The Thing, I don't know if you know this or if you've seen this Minimate yet, he changes into Ben Grimm. Right. So you take off, do you know this? Have you, do you have this guy? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you pop off all his bits and underneath, you know, is the Ben Grimm face. Oh, actually, I think you swap heads. But underneath the, the clunky rock, you know, uh, forearms and calves is like an orange jumpsuit underneath, you know, like a pilot's suit with uh, Ben Grimm underneath. So uh, that and there was a silver surfer that maybe he came with. Uh, and then I picked up a couple like Iron Man 3s. But the other day I found they're putting out these new Star Trek sets. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's, you know, it seems like it's a variety of, like, one is from Deep Space Nine, one is from Next Generation, and then there's one set that is classic, and it's Kirk and Khan. Yes. Our, our original uh, darker-skinned ponytail Khan. Yes, with- and then there's, there's also another set that comes with uh, stranded on regular one, Kirk yelling Khan into the community. No. Yeah. Minimates? Yeah, yeah. It's in that same series. No way. Yeah. I think that's that one's shipping this week. I think they just Because it's not on the back of the packaging though. Yeah. He's not on he's not on the the packaging has um Cisco Cisco Kid uh and Gold Ducat. Gold Ducat. Janeway, seven of nine, Picard and uh a Borg called Hugh. Yes, Hugh Borg. Hugh Borg? What's uh-huh. that about? Uh, that was the Borg that they caught, and they were going to introduce a virus and wipe out the whole race. But it uh, turns out uh, when they started unplugging him, he was lovable, and they didn't want to kill him. Uh-huh. So oh, poor Hugh Borg. He almost got killed. That's, uh, yeah. that's my middle name. Is Hugh or Borg? Borg. Or Hugh, Hugh Borg. Borg. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, my middle name's Hugh. Uh, anyway, so I found those little guys. I also found the Lone Ranger action figures. Oh, I did see those. Which, you know, this is one of those things for me, like, I'm not thrilled to see the movie. I think it looks pretty good. I'll, I'll probably see it. Um, but I, this is pure nostalgia for me and reminds me of, did you have any of the Gabriel toys when you were a kid? My brother did. So you remember there was like a 12-inch Lone Ranger. Yeah. I mean, beautiful stuff. Like they really went all out with these toys because they were – I just remember – I don't remember if I had it or my cousin had it. But just coming with loads of accessories, you know, like two guns and a holster and a rifle and a this and a that. And the, the mask came off and the hat came off and all that. Um, and a horse. And the horse. but the, And the horse was like – multi-articulated yeah you know like the you know the fetlocks i think that's the horse's knees uh but you know bits of the legs that were articulated like eight different ways um and then when the movie came out did you see the movie in the theater when it came out uh i can't remember if i did or not. the legend of the lone ranger maybe 
again, one of those, you know, we're, we're that age where we're seeing everything that has to do with, you know, genre in any, in any way. And I think that was 1981. Right. It might've been after Raiders. I feel like I did see it. You probably did because if you were like the rest of us, you probably were seeing everything that freaking came out. So, um, it's terrible. It's, 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 it's awful. (laughs) And, uh, but, but I remember being very excited about it and I believe I could be wrong again, send your letters in now. Um, that Gabriel still had the Lone Ranger license when that movie came out. Or either Gabriel or Kenner. And they made a line of action figures, and they're really nice. Like, yeah, they made three and three quarter. Yeah, three that. and three quarter inch. And they had, like, you know, the guns went in the holsters, you know, and Tonto's knife went in the, the sheath, and they had, they had knee articulation for, uh, you know, horse riding, because they, they were horses sold separately but which also makes them now impossible to find complete which which part well like trying to find those uh, the figures with those tiny guns and knives you mean trying to get loose and find them loose yes yeah but they were it's it's funny they're one of those examples of a really beautiful toy line for a terrible movie <laughs> and i think they came out with um you know gun and holster sets and hats and things like that that were probably done by well, who would have been the big cap gun people back then daisy right like yep. a daisy set anyway so i saw these things and i was like oh my gosh this i i have to get these guys however good the movie is you know to have a new lone ranger and tonto uh, set so i got those guys and they're really beautifully done like now did you get the six inch or the three and three quarter inch i got the six inch i haven't seen the three okay. and three quarter inch yet but if they're anything like these, they're going to be beauties. So I, I can't wait to see those. There's also a, a badge, a, a die-cast metal badge that's out. Mm-hmm. And there's a mask, uh, a, you know, a leather-look mask that's out that NECA did um, for many, many uses. You know, not just cosplay. Plenty of stuff you can do with that mask, if you know, if you know right. what I mean. Yeah, there's there's a lot of new NECA stuff coming out. The the Pacific Rim stuff, the first wave of that is hitting. Uh, their Aliens line is hitting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they also so. have a new, um, not that I care, but they've got a Rambo figure out. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. got that same kind of kind of weird rubbery skin that the Rocky figures have. Yep. You know, but it's but it's I believe it's first blood, right? Is that right? I I think that's correct. Yes. Which I don't think we've ever gotten in any way. The world has right. never gotten a first blood. Uh, and lastly, I found there are some new action figures, little mini figures uh, out for regular show. There's a new uh, Rigby, a new Mordecai. There's a new Benson. Uh, you know, the gumball machine guy that's just brilliant because his accessories are a uh, Walkman that you put on his head and a bolt of rage that uh, fits into his mouth and looks like he's he's spitting out like a, a fireball. And um, Skips, the big muscly dude, he comes with removable fists of justice and a battle harness. I just love this show. It's completely mental, <laughs> and I, I I love it. It's lunacy. Um, so I picked those up as well. So I've been I've been scoring on the toy front here. 
And those guys are uh, from Jack Specific. Jack Specific. And they're, I guess you'd say, yeah, they're like three and three quarter inch. But, you know, okay. because it's an animated show and some of the designs are, you know, fragile, like um, some of the characters from Adventure Time. Not, not Jack Specific. It's Jazzwares. Sorry, right? Jazzwares, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the, a lot of them, some of them come with uh, little display stands that kind of plug into their backs because their little legs are so spindly that it's hard for them to, to stand up. But I love them. I think they're really fun and uh, and uh, work well with the show. Like one of the characters, Mordecai comes with a fanny pack. It's a little <laughs> fanny pack that clicks onto his waist. Like when have you ever had an action figure with a fanny pack? That's, that's correct. That's yeah. Genius. So, uh, yeah, so there's some fun stuff there. So in other toy news uh, – Entertainment Earth, uh, Hasbro's letting Entertainment Earth reveal the next wave of Star Wars black figures, yes. uh, six inch. So they're doing one a week. I guess there's a list that has leaked that someone found in the Walmart computers already. So uh, we'll we'll see if it lines up with that. The first figure revealed does, uh, which is Greedo. So that'll it's uh, interesting that Greedo was revealed first. Hmm. See what I did. Uh, no, I'm sorry. See, like Han shot first, but Greedo was revealed first. It's a Star Wars joke. Yeah, we, we, we should have worked on it. See, because we don't have a Han figure yet. Yeah. We so Greedo was revealed first. We should have gone over that. We should have gone over that. Well, let's, let's, let's write it down, and we'll, we'll work on it for work next week. Work on it for next week, okay. Uh, and then today, Super 7 revealed what they're doing with their reaction alien figures for Comic-Con. Yeah. Oh, I love what they're doing. It's just basking in Kenner goodness. It's really, it's, you know, they're, but what it is to me is like people that really seem to care. I mean, I know from talking to those guys and from, you know, our, our good pal Brian Heiler, he's been, been in on this for a very, very long time because he's, he's actually helped a lot with the, you know, some of the classic, you know, artwork and, uh, you know, catalog type stuff from back in the day. But, yeah. you know, this is something that we saw first sort of revealed and talked about at last year's Comic-Con. That's and right. talking to Frank at last year's Comic-Con, we were talking about how long it had taken to get to Comic-Con last year. So yeah, you know, by yeah. this Comic-Con, this project, he has been working on this for, I think we're getting close to four years to bring this yes. to fruition. And this Comic-Con will bring all these, these goodies and the early bird kit and all this fun stuff. The figures themselves themselves still won't hit until, like, November. I think, well, he was saying August at WonderCon. Oh, well, the, the press release, everything in the press release says, like, October, November kind of thing. But, well, I, guess but the just, I mean, it's just, like, that screams passion to me. Like, loving yeah. something, having a passion for it, and not giving up. When anything takes that long... And that much effort is put in before the stuff even hits. You know that this was a bumpy ride. And there's only a handful of people that, that really stick their necks out like that and, um, you know, and go the distance. And that's just pure love, I think, for, for properties like this. And just having fun with it. Yeah. You know, trying to figure out, you know, these, these were made back in 79. They were never released. But what would Kenner have done? How would they have treated it? Yeah. And that's just super fun. So for Comic-Con, they are going to have an early bird kit 
that is very much styled like the original Star Wars New Hope early bird kit that Kenner put out. So you'll get it in this big envelope that will have a, a stand, like a cardboard pop-up stand, and like some stickers, and then with the promise that the figures will come later, you know, which is brilliant. Uh, and then they also have another set that will be uh, the big chap and who's the other guy that comes with it? It's uh, uh, it's Kane, I think. Is that yeah, yeah, Kane? And with the the idea that these are unpainted samples that they would give out to their sales team to help uh, promote this and get them in stores. So they're unpainted. They're kind of a bluish gray color, and you'll get them in a box with this fake letter that you know sounds like it came from Kenner saying, "Oh, we haven't seen this movie yet, but here's Kane and and this other thing that's the alien, and we know they're going to be great space friends." You know, so get out there and sell these things, and you know, can't wait for kids to see this movie. Now, let's tell everybody. So, so the fig, you know, Kenner had the license for the movie. They made that that large scale alien figure that's legendary now. That's worth you know, buckets of money. Uh, yep. They made a board game. They made a movie viewer, I think, that was like a, you know, 16 millimeter type thing that you, you cranked. Like, maybe they did one for Star Wars, too, where you, like, pop in. They did several for Star you Wars. You pop I in think the there's cartridge, five different ones. you, yep. like, turn the crank kind of thing, I think. Yep. Uh, they made, I think, a puzzle that came in an egg, a plastic egg. They made a, a dart gun and target. Uh, sort of game, a pop-up target game where the alien would would pop up. And you look at this stuff, and you look at the catalog stuff, and again, Plaid Stallions, I think, has uh, most of the original uh, catalog materials back then. This is, everything about it is like, come on, kids, come come down and watch Alien and then get the toys. And it's just like fun, 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 kids, 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 as if no one at the company had the slightest inkling just how incredibly violent this movie was going to be and that it was rated R, basically. So and, and terrifying to adults, too. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like the stuff got released, and that's it. Like, there was one wave of whatever got released, and then that was it. It all, it all went away. And then there was this proposed action figure line. I don't know how far this got before somebody said, you know... <laughs> Um, so the figures are uh, the big chap, which is the alien, which is what I think uh, Ridley Scott started calling him uh, in, in, on the set. Uh, right. So the alien, Ripley, Ash, Dallas, Kane in the spacesuit. Mm-hmm. I think that's it, right? One, two, three, four humans and the alien, I think. Right, yes. Right, so that's it. There's five total. Yeah, and that... Um, and I believe that's all they had planned. I don't think there was anything beyond that that they had sort of kicked around, did they? And I, I think there are hard copies that people have in their collection of four of the five. And then there's a picture of one of them. And I can't remember which one that was. Hmm. But there's, And it's only a front-facing picture. No one's seen what the back of the figure ever looked like. Oh. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm excited about that. I love... I love Alien and Aliens. Uh, that's about where it ends. I mean, I have all the movies, but those two. But but Alien, the first one, I could watch every week for the rest of my life. It's just, to me, it's just perfection. Like there isn't a a, a wasted moment in that in that movie. Um, and I finally, a couple years ago, 
tracked down and got the beautiful uh, little sets that Galoob did. Do you remember these? Oh, sure, the yeah. The action fleet? Yep. So I got the, um, the shuttle, the, the Narcissus. Narcissus, was that the shuttle? Uh, yep. And that comes with, you know, Ripley and um, I think the little, the little pod that she sleeps in has a little Jonesy, the cat is in there, uh, and an alien. There's, there's a playset that's the alien head. It's got all yeah. kinds of good stuff, and, and, and on one level of the little miniature playset, there's Kane laying on the table, and the little chest burster spins uh, coming out of his chest. And then there's some smaller uh, figure sets. There's also a ship I think that came out for that they put out for Aliens, the drop ship, I think. Yeah, I think they did. Yeah, I think they did two ships. They did the drop ship, and they did the the the, the carrier, the tank thing. Right. I have that. Okay. I have the narcissist, but I don't have the dropship. Uh, but they're hard to track down, that stuff. But just, yeah, they they're are. gorgeous. They're absolutely gorgeous. Uh, so this will be fun. That'll be, uh, that'll be fun to look out for that stuff. Yeah. And uh, Action Figure Express, they announced their Comic-Con exclusives, too. They have quite a few. Yes. Uh, so there's a, a He-Man bust that's based on the Filmation uh, animation, and I guess he comes, there's a, a sword and an axe version. Yes. Uh, the last year they did a letter opener based on the Sword of Power. Yes. This year they've recolored it to be Faker's Sword of Power letter opener. Uh, they've got quite a... I mean, come on! What? Faker. I said, come on. It's Faker, yeah. It's, orange, it's an orange Sword of Power. Faker. That guy did all sorts of stuff. They got a lot of mini-mates. <laughs> a ton of mini-mates. Yeah. There's a... <laughs> There's a Deadpool box set. There is a 10-pack for Iron Man 3. Cool. Of Tony Stark, Pepper, and then all the armors that they're calling the Hall of Armors. And just to, uh, not to digress too much, but anybody that's got problems with Iron Man 3, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know if we can be friends because when you see Man of Steel, I don't know. I think I speak for many people when I say it makes you appreciate Iron Man 3 all the more. Yes. And what... what it could have used the tones that it could have used. Anyway, continue, please. Uh, so they are starting the, the view askew universe. So there's a black and white Jay and silent Bob, the Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes. Uh, they're starting lost in space, classic lost in space. Danger, danger, danger. So there's a black and white Dr. Smith and robot. They are finishing out Thundercats with their fourth box set of those guys. There's a Walking Dead set that is from Herschel's Farm. That's Rick, Herschel, Herschel's zombie son, and then like another barn walker. There's a Wolverine five-pack uh, of mini-mates. R2 Vinyl Bank. The, the four horsemen are killing us with these outer spacemen. Mm. So, you know, they, they release them in these different color schemes. They've done this beautiful set that is white and blue. Uh, white with these blue accents that uh, that's I'm fighting to resist slightly, but you know because I have all these figures already and their uh, other color combinations and then their actual painted things. But this set is just so lovely. I don't know that I'm going to be able to to turn my back on it. And then something I'm very excited about: uh, Bear Brick has been doing these sort of superpowers esque 
uh, bear bricks. So they come on a card that looked like a reproduction almost of the original Superpowers card, and then it's a DC figure. They started it off, uh, the first one was a bear that looked like the Green Lantern power battery. But then last year for Comic-Con, they did Batman and... uh, it was Batman and Plastic Man. And then they started releasing them in stores, too. So they've done Robin and Cyborg. So at Comic-Con, they will do Superman and Riddler. Riddler, of course, was not an official Super Powers figure. He was released overseas as a, you know, he was repainted yes. uh, Green Lantern. And it was called, uh, so, was it Super Amigos or something? It was in the Super Amigos line. That's correct. See? Yes. I even yes, know that. Nice. I'm not even a collector of this stuff. And... Just like last time we were talking about being informed on crap uh, films just to be able to talk about them a little bit. This isn't, I'm not saying that the, uh, the, this is a crap toy line. I didn't mean that. Uh, better not be saying that. I even know that about uh, the superpowers, the super amigos. How I know that, I'm not even sure. But it's up there in one of the little attic rooms in my brain, and you just knocked on the door, and I, I let the information out. Well, welcome. Welcome, information. Yeah, thanks. Speaking of information in your brain, why don't you tell us a little bit about Biff Bang Pow's Comic-Con exclusive? Well, I thought you'd never ask. Because we've seen... Have we seen all of them now? I'm glad you... It's still not quite yet. there's more to come. I'm glad you asked, because if if you hadn't, it would just seem a little too self-serving for me to just dive right into it. But, yes, what Entertainment Earth is doing, for a lot of the uh, stuff that the Biff Bang Pow is doing, is we're, we're sort of eking out the information rather than you know giving a, a burst all at once we're giving nice little teases leading up to comic-con it's a fun little game that gets played um and then entertainment Brothers doing a thing where like every 500 facebook likes or twitter follows they get a new exclusive will be revealed so there's a, there's a bit of that going on as well but just to i'll do this as quickly as i can what's been revealed so far um which i'm very excited about and this will segue into what I did the other night, uh, Saturday night here in, in Los Angeles, um, we have got this Dexter exclusive that I am so excited about. Uh, talk about hard to contain yourself. Like it's it's just it's something that we have been talking about one way or another for years since we got the Dexter license, and we could never find the right way to do it. What we're doing, we're calling you know all the stuff that we're doing with these tins. Uh, basically, for you, me, and the between you, me, and the lamppost, they're lunchboxes. Yes. But you know, we can't really use the term lunchbox, but I will for the sake of what we're talking about right now. But basically, they're lunchboxes. So we're doing a Dexter lunchbox, which is in the shape of his air conditioner. Well, I mean, it's the shape of a lunchbox, but it, it looks like his air conditioning unit in his apartment. And inside is a wooden uh, blood slide case which fits all the blood slides. Now, for, for all the action figures we've done of Dexter, the three and three quarter inch and the, the seven inch figure we did a couple uh, of years ago, they all come with different blood slides of different uh, victims of his. The names are on the side of the blood slide, just like he does in the show. And these are, this is the great thing about this too, is that this is essentially like, you know, prop replica time here. Um, right. as well as a really cool toy and exclusive. So if you've been saving the blood slides over the years, there's going to be a set of slides that come with this, and all the ones that you've saved over the years will fit into the blood slide case. 
It also comes with a talking keychain, which people are just loving. We keep putting these into um, different items that we're making and as little surprises. Like one of them came with our TARDIS uh, you know, playset, the retro playset that basically makes the TARDIS sound effects, and people just love them. Um, comes with a keychain and a new version of the three and three quarter inch Dexter action figure. Uh, that's hitting. We've got the first of our Star Trek bobbleheads. It is. This is really groovy, too. We're doing a Build-A-Bridge set of next-generation bobbleheads. So Mm -hmm. each bobblehead comes with a separate section of the bridge as a base, and they will all eventually connect to show you the uh, next-generation bridge. The first one out is Wesley Crusher, played by Will Wheaton. Um, The next thing is a $6 million man lunchbox, again, but it is a repro of the very same lunchbox that came out back in 75, 76. Comes with a, a, a travel mug and a set of coasters with the logo on it. We're doing a new version of River Song's diary from Doctor Who. This time it is extremely limited edition, but it's a high-end collectible, uh, you know, parchment-type papers with some Easter egg-type surprises throughout uh, it, or in one or two places. I forget how we, what we decided on that. Uh, Battlestar Galactica, three more retro figures, um, uh, Boxy, Muffet, and uh, one of the female singers with the three mouths and six eyes and 12 ears, also <laughs> in a retro lunchbox, the, the, the lunchbox from 1978. Uh, yep. We're doing a super cool set of Star Trek uh, coasters, Paramount has done this just incredible job with this artwork. Each episode has a original piece of artwork that they've done, they've had commissioned for the episode. So each one of these looks like a, a movie poster, like a retro movie poster, but it's just episode-specific for each of the classic episodes, and that's a, <clears throat> that comes in a, a really cool tin. Uh, back to lunchboxes again. We're doing a new Venture Brothers lunchbox. We did one last year that came with uh, a couple of figures. This year, new version of um, uh, the Monarch and uh, Doctor Misses the Monarch that that are in here, um, and then uh, Tim, Tom, and Kevin, her two little henchmen. But the artwork on the lunchbox is original artwork that the guys did. Um, uh, Jackson and Doc did for us for the for the tin um, on a set of mini Doctor Who journals, which I gave to you. One is an an- yes. anniversary journal, 500 year diary, and the River Song diary. They're mini versions of the other journals that we've we've put out. Last two things, and I, I, these could be besides the Dexter thing. What I'm most excited about: we're doing a for the first time ever crossover item between Twilight Zone and Star Trek. And because our pal William Shatner was in both shows, uh, that's how we're sort of getting away with it. One side of the lunchbox is Shatner from Nightmare at 20,000 Feet episode of Twilight Zone. Other side of the lunchbox is Shatner as Kirk in the captain's chair. Inside are two mini bobbleheads, which we call... They're called monitor mates. I've given you one or two of them, right? The TARDIS ones mm-hmm. you have? Yep. Uh, and one is Shatner in the seat on the airplane in black and white from Twilight Zone. And the other is Shatner in the captain's chair. 
So you're getting two different Shatners from two different iconic shows, one black and white, one color in the same product. And that's that's a, that's a lot of Shat. That's a lot of Shat. That's save up, save up for your Shats. And finally, uh, I'm so excited about this because you know when you work on this stuff, it's like from design to first sculpt to finished product, it takes so long, and it's like you you've got a surprise gift for a loved one, and you you're just dying to to open it, to, you know, but you got to wait till you know Festivus or whatever. Um, it is a Doctor Who lunchbox with classic. Uh, and current artwork on the box and comes with our first retro versions of Matt Smith and William Hartnell, the first doctor. Um, And he's in color. He's not in black and white. Um, Matt Smith comes with a sonic screwdriver and Hartnell comes with his cane. Uh, But they're just beautiful, beautiful figures. I'm so, so proud of them and excited. And it's our... 50th anniversary. It's it's it's. I mean, we literally. What the cool thing is, just like we were talking about the alien stuff. And I know I sound like I'm I'm tooting my horn here. I don't mean to, but it really gets exciting. I we stood at the booth last year, Jason Labowitz and I, and said, well, what if we did this? And what if we did that? And how about if we did? And we said, well, we've got to do if we can pull it off. You know, current and first Doctor, tin, black and white color, 50th anniversary for Comic-Con this year um, to tie into the anniversary. And by God, we did it. And knock on wood, it's going to be here in time for Comic-Con. But that's- yeah, that was just, I mean, we're recording on a Wednesday. That was revealed today. That's how right. fresh this news is. That's right. It's fresh, as, as they say. And, of course, at the time last year, you did not know that Matt Smith would be bailing. No, which will make it even hopefully more collectible in people's eyes that you gotta yeah. you know, run, don't walk to get this. Uh, also, I should, probably shouldn't say, we're in conjunction with the BBC, bless their hearts, because they really are, they really are pushing for some of this stuff in a way that, that um, they really understand the timely nature of what we're trying to do. Uh, fingers crossed, knock on wood, light some candles. We've got a couple things planned still to get out in time for the actual anniversary in November. Oh, my. That should blow some people's minds. Uh, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. So um, we're very, very excited. I believe you can go to entertainmentearth.com and pre order this stuff. So you yes. can pick it up at the show yep. uh, if you like, um, or you can just take your chances and you know be there at, at the at the show. Um, the booth is two three four three. It's a beautiful uh, booth, two stories this year again. The Entertainment Earth booth. Uh, there's Dexter decorations all around and all kinds of Biff Bang Pow licensed characters uh, all over the booth, so you can't miss it. Right near the, one of the uh, little food things. Little, what do you call it? What is it, a food courtyard? What, what do they call it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. one of the food court things. Uh, and Entertainment Earth is also usually really, really great about saving a chunk of these two and selling them to people that can't be at the show. Because I know that's really frustrating for 
people out there, you know, that that want all these exclusive across the board. They're always really terrific about having, usually having, uh, if if they're left over, they set some aside and and sell them to everyone. So yeah, they do, and they and they really their customer service is fantastic, and they're always um, it's very it's it's chaotic because there's so much going on at that booth and and so much traffic, but it's always very orderly and the line tends to move um, fairly quickly. There also should be some talent uh, coming coming around. We um, Both Jason Labowitz and I were invited last Saturday to the Dexter premiere party uh, here in, in Hollywood for season eight. And, um, you know, if, if the cast had their way, they all want to be at the Entertainment Earth booth for Comic-Con. Um, a lot of them had been there a couple years ago. Uh, Michael C. Hall never did, but, um, you know, Julie Benz and Jennifer Carpenter and David Zayas, um, C.S. Lee, they all made their way over there and had a, a really great time, so they all want to do it again. But uh, we went to this party, and it was great um, for a number of reasons. They they took uh, our Biff Bang Pow bobbleheads, and they had these, you know, those crane machines from carnivals? Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know, like a uh, video. Like a claw. Kind of like the claw machines, right? Yeah, the claw machine, but it's uh, that's what I meant to say. The claw machine from, like, the arcades. Yeah. Put 50 cents in, and, you know, and they filled these machines with our bobbleheads and, like, T-shirts and different things. So people were walking around with our bobbleheads because they had won them out of the, the claw machine. Uh, Did you get a picture of that? Yeah. Oh, I want to see that. We got a couple of pictures. I tried a couple times to nab a T-shirt but I was no good at Butterfingers. They also had a really cool thing uh, where you could either be a killer or a victim, lay on this table, cover, uh, then you'd be covered with a plastic wrap thing, and then the other person would be above you with the knife, and you you acted it out very quickly, because what they did was they took a series of photographs, and within like 20 minutes, they made a flip book. So you, you flicked through the flip book, and you know you were... You know, murdering. So Labowitz laid on the table, and I, um, I murdered him. And then at the last second, he pulled the knife out and got me from from the table. Um, I let him have the flip book, though, so I don't I don't have any proof of that. Um, there were really cool desserts. You know, everything had you know, white frosting with blood on it, and shards of you know, candy glass in the frosting and stuff like that. Um, they the entire cast was there which was amazing. Nice. John Lithgow showed up eventually. And then the, one of the coolest things, if not the coolest thing of the night, the composer of the theme tune was there with like a 10-piece orchestra, and they played the Dexter theme live. Oh, wow. You could have heard a pin drop. It was so cool. People just went nuts for that. Um, but when we uh, grabbed a little, you know, some munchies and sat down, there was Ralph Garman and his assistant sitting Oh, okay. So, um, so I had met him before at an event way back, and just kind of broke the ice and uh, introduced myself and introduced Jason, and, and we just ended up, you know, BSing for like twenty minutes, half hour about all kinds of stuff. Uh, the new did he ask? Did he ask about me? Yeah, that's the first thing he said was was how's Daniel Pickett? Oh, good, my, my good friend. Um, we uh, talked about the new Batman stuff coming out. Um, he was very familiar with the Biff Bang Pow stuff, which was which was cool. He um, he he had you know seen it before. He's a, he's actually a customer of Entertainment Earth, 
which was cool, um, and says he's got all the Batman stuff pre-ordered and everything. Um, and then, of course, we started talking about Man of Steel. But it was this funny thing where you kind of go, oh, did you see uh, Man of Steel? Yeah, I did. Did you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I did. He goes, yeah. And then there's like that five-second pause where you're like trying to feel the situation out. Like, did he like it? What's he going to say? How should I? And he's like, what would you think? And I was like, um, well, and he goes, because I was disappointed, man. I was really disappointed. I said, yeah, me too. And then the doors just opened, and we ended up talking about Superman for like 10 minutes. Um, and Star Trek, actually. We kind of had the same same feelings about a lot of stuff in, in both both movies. Um, but, um, but, yeah, it was cool just to, just to talk about collecting and, and knowing that he, um, he, you know, he dug our stuff. And his assistant actually had one of the Dexter bobbleheads in front of her. She'd won out of the machine. So that was a, that was a cool way to, <clears throat> to break the ice. So he's going to, you know, um, he really wants to come by the booth. He's, he asked a couple of times, like, the booth number and where we were. And, you know, he's down there doing um, uh, several uh, panel hostings. He always does the Dexter thing. Yep. He's, he's uh, moderating several panels, but he's like, yeah really want to come by he's like i don't get a lot of time to do the floor but uh i want to come by I said, yeah come by we'll load you up with goodies and i told my shatner story of shatner coming by and he told a story about meeting him and how you instantly turn into a seven-year-old kid when you when you meet the guy um, yeah and that he's also doing they're going to do broadcast kevin and bean his morning show from there oh yeah yeah uh, i think too. a couple of days yeah yeah he mentioned that too uh, yeah, he invited me out to his house to see his collection. I can't wait. Yeah, be careful. I am absolutely going to take him up on that offer. I'd be careful if I were you. I would because uh, it's it's like behind a hidden bookcase. And I stuff. would bring some friends. No, just, I can't wait. Can't wait. I think that's the. I think I would draw the line if he invited me to his pad. I'm like, eh, maybe we can just do a, like a restaurant. Maybe just somewhere out in public. Maybe and eventually maybe get to the to the place. But. Um, yeah. Speaking of eventualities, we should we should start the Man of Steel talk. I think. Well, is it um, is it uh, is it time? <clears throat> yes. All right. For those of you that need to and haven't seen Man of Steel, I advise you strongly to leave the room. It is impossible to discuss what we're going to discuss without spoilers. So this is your warning. You have been warned. You're on out. <laughs> we're going to be talking about. So major, major plot points in the film. And it ain't going to be pretty. So, That's right. So we'll count down from five, and um, you've been warned. So either turn us off or leave the room or whatever. So here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. I can't believe that he... <laughs> so yes, Man of Steel. You saw it Friday. I saw it Friday very early. Yes. I went with a buddy of mine. I thought, let's get this out of the way because I don't want to know anything. I don't want to hear anything. I don't want to read anything. I had avoided all reviews like we talked about. Like you get two sentences in and you go, that's it. I'm done. I don't want to know anymore. Walk away. Um, and I want to preface again that I was nervous way back about some of the trailers and footage that we had been shown. And I wasn't very excited. And then I started to get very excited, uh, yes. especially with that last trailer. And um, 
going into it Friday morning, I was buzzing. I mean, I was just pumped for this thing. Um, yeah, I, why don't I let you start? Because uh, Okay, so I, I saw it Sunday uh, for Father's Day. And, you know, I've talked a lot about uh, how I, I usually don't take my daughter to PG-13 movies because she's not 13 yet. So I, I tried to do as much research on the film as possible, you know, to see if it was okay, thinking it's a Superman movie. Uh, and what it what the, the, the motion picture rating said for this PG-13 was some language and sci-fi violence. So okay. thinking that, well, it's a Superman movie. You know, she she's she's, you know, 10. She knows the language. Uh, sci-fi violence, that sounds like ray guns and things. We know there's going to be some amount of punching, but thinking it would probably be okay. Okay. Uh, it's not. <laughs> and I'm not sure it's okay for me. And I'm in my 40s. <laughs> you really thought it was that It was that violent? It was really violent. Well, it was, yeah. it was violent. Um, see, it depends on what you, like, was it violent in a... Um, you know, strap someone to a table, you know, break their fingers, uh, Game of Thrones, you know, violent, like that, the wedding episode of Game of Thrones, which I have now seen, holy oh, okay. shit. <laughs> holy shit. That, well, that's different spoilers, don't say anything. That is one of the most... We haven't warned Game of Thrones fans. That is one of the most violent scenes slash episodes of anything I've ever seen on television. And I'm not even talking about I'm, I think you know the character I'm talking about, their fate. I'm just going to say... Oh, <laughs> clearly, Henry feels strongly about this. He does, yeah. He was, well, he's read the book, so he's just chiming in with the differences. One of the, one of the women, uh, their fate, that's all I'm going to say, is, is shockingly violent. So when I think violent, like... Like, I don't think it had that, you know, obviously not that, but I don't think it had, like, blood and guts kind of violence. It didn't. So, so to start off with what we liked, uh, I, I felt like it. The it's a long movie. It's over two hours long. Uh, the first hour of it, I felt like, was a pretty terrific movie. There's great performances in it. I think the entire cast was very well done, very well cast. The score of it, I thought, was excellent. Uh, but it just sort of felt like after about roughly the first hour, someone went over to the control panel and took the switch where it was pointed up at Batman Begins and then switched it down to the Michael Bay, Roland Emmerich position. Uh, because the last 40 minutes of that movie is nothing but punching and destruction. Okay. Oh, I'm, and, I'm with you. I'm here. And... There were, uh, my daughter, her, her uh, comment coming out of it was, why was nobody happy in that film? Well, your daughter's very perceptive because uh, the list of dozens of things that I could say are wrong with the film. One of them is, I know it's been said before, but it's a great way to put it. It is utterly joyless. There is, yes. I mean, when we first heard, when we first heard that Goyer and Nolan were going to be involved with this. I think everyone had the same response initially, which was, oh, cool. Like, you know, what works for 
for Batman, you know, the the class, the classiness they brought to that, we're going to get that with this. It's in good hands. Not long after that, I think it was followed by, ooh, really? Okay, well, that's interesting. I wonder if they're going to do this, or I wonder if the tone is going to continue with the thing, because if it does, that doesn't quite fit. And then the response to that would be, oh, no, no, they won't do that. They know better than to, it's not the same story. It's not the same tone that you would have for that. Well, that's kind of what they seem to have done. They seem to have said, we've got this heaviness and this angst that goes along with Bruce Wayne and his character. Why can't we bring some of that into Superman? And I, I, I actually disagree with that because, you know, I went back and I rewatched the other Batman films before going to see the most recent one. And the, especially Batman Begins, for me, it was the first time, and I've said this a couple of times, and I know I've said it on the show, it's the first time I've watched a superhero movie like that where I went, okay, I totally get why these people hang out with each other, you know? Okay. Uh, and even in, in the Batman films, there was humor, like uh, Bruce Wayne sort of playing the part of the playboy, you know, had a lightness to it, had fun. Alfred... Very, very funny. They found moments of of lightness and humor in those films so it didn't get weighed down into this impossible, heavy, ugly thing. And there was none of that in Superman. Well, which part of what I said are you disagreeing with? Uh, that, that that it was all just sort of heavy, ugly Batman. I'm no, saying no, no, Batman I, had... I don't think it was heavy, ugly Batman. What I think is they were, they were trying to... Look, uh, you know... For my money, if Superman is going to have any weight on his shoulders, it's going to be the the sort of thing where, you know, my friend got leukemia and there's nothing I can do. I'm the most powerful man in the world, but I can't save him. This is beyond my control. Or it's the type of, you know, I can't be everywhere. There's all this stuff going on and I'm this powerful. I could fix this, 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 but I can't be everywhere. And so I've got massive guilt because of it. It shouldn't be... I don't know who my daddy is. You're not my dad. Mom hates you too. I can't believe that. You know, it shouldn't be that. Like, I don't know who I am or where I'm from or how do I belong or, you know, I can do all these things. Why can't I show the world or should I help? I think the conceit as well that they tried to bring into the, again, for heaviness from Pa Kent of maybe you shouldn't reveal yourself because the humans won't understand and they're going to they're make, make you an outcast, I thought was so stupid. You've got two of the... The reason that Superman becomes the man that he is is because he's raised by these two wonderful people. He's, yes. he's raised by the two sweetest people on the, on the planet. That you've got a conceit coming from one of those two people that don't do it. You know, maybe you should let them die because people won't understand. I just thought it was ludicrous. And the fact that... He that wave when Costner does the wave and like don't don't come over here let the tornado get me people were laughing in the theater that was the dumbest thing and he does that and it's like well then it turns out when he is revealed to the humans that they're they're cool they 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 don't you know they they think he's all right he you know yeah. and and I'm okay with some amount of that but it was so heavy handed it was so every scene with Kevin Costner. And I'm even okay, you know, at the very least, you know, with the whole thing of, 
when he says don't reveal yourself when like the bus was in the water and should I just let them die to at least uh, have that payoff later where he puts his money where his mouth is saying don't do it here either just let me go I, I can at least respect that I don't agree with it and I don't think any kid would do that but it, that that at least had a payoff but I, I don't think for a second that he would stand there because we know he's got his powers. You know, he could literally run to him and take him. He doesn't have to run back to the overpass where everyone goes, oh, my gosh, look, you just saved your dad. Just keep going with him somewhere else. You know, run, grabbed him, gone to get coffee, you know, watched a movie, swung back under the bridge. No one would have been the wiser. It was just exactly stupid. And it and, and to die over the dog, too. And you're you know, doing it, just, you're doing it to try to bring that heaviness. So now he's got to carry this around with him, too. And it's, we don't even care about that dog. There's another dog in the modern day scenes. That first dog is dead. But I'm just saying that when I talk about we already lost the dog. What I'm saying, the heaviness is like you, you, you're now you got to carry this around with you too. But it's like it's futile, it's stupid because then you turn around and it turns out that within five minutes he's completely accepted. So the way that he was raised and the 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 suspicions that Costner had about humanity were all wrong. It was stupid. He was wrong and he died in vain. I mean, that's just yeah. one problem with it. It's like, you know, you know, like, for example, the beginning, the first, you know, four or five minutes, I was really getting into it because I thought this is a Krypton we haven't seen before. The, the costumes are cool. It looks interesting. There's neat details going on. Oh, look, there's a couple of monsters, you know, grazing on the grass and whatever. Like, I was getting into it. And then it went on for 10, 15 minutes on Krypton. And it was like, okay, wrap it up. Let's Let's get going. And... I hate to say it, all those suspicions I had before and all that stuff that I'd seen in all those trailers, all that footage of nothing going on and childhood and I don't know if you should let him die, son, and all this shit, all of that, uh, all those fears I had came true because at one point I turned to my friend and I'm like, if he doesn't put this freaking suit on in like five minutes, I'm going to scream. Like I was – I found myself – and this is a, a testament to the, the movie and sort of age we're living in right now and how much stuff we watch and the way we view it. Subconsciously, I'm not joking. I almost like was reaching for a phantom remote control. <laughs> like suddenly it's a wide shot of the farm again and I'm going, I don't care. I so don't freaking care about any of this stuff. I just want to get to him, putting the suit on, flying and throwing a bus or something. There's so much wasted time in this movie that could be spent on something else. You know, I hate to say it, and I know it's it's kind of what we got with Superman Returns, being in awe of the Richard Donner thing, and I'm not saying that that's what I wanted or a repeat of that, but walking out of this thing, it only made the Donner film that much better and that much more incredible what they pulled off with this movie, having nothing to compare themselves to. They were the first ones out of the gate to take something like this seriously. And if you compare, whether they're just trying to do something different or not, compare the death of Pa Kent in this one to the Richard Donner film. Absolutely. How beautifully understated. And the last thing he says to his son is, 
I don't know what you're doing here, uh, but you're here for a reason. Something put you here, and you're here for some kind of reason or purpose, and I know it's not to, you know, throw a football or score a touchdown or whatever it is. You know, and, and, and he, it's very understated. And then when, when Clark walks off, he just collapses. He's by himself, and just, that's it. And that beautiful wide... Now, weren't they going to do, like, a race? Well, I think he was like, come on, was he going to throw, yeah. throw the ball or something? I forget. Yeah, yeah. But it's so understated and so beautifully done. And so much of that movie is. And again, I got no problem with Henry Cavill. I got a problem with the fact that he never, I'm sorry, but it's not him. It's the material he was given. He never yeah. felt like Superman to me. Yeah. Character well, it's just, you know, and I'm not saying we needed like, you know, the pimp that, you know, meets Superman the first time he comes out. You know, hey, Jim, that's a bad outfit. You know, but even just those like, you know, the, the you've got me, who's got you. I mean, there's just we've there's so many better examples of Superman. And the thing was, for me, he was uh, it was like he was trying to save us, but he was not trying to protect us. You know what? It, and it, Superman has to be a protector. But he's also got to feel like he's in control, whatever room he's in, whoever he's speaking to. And for my money, there were two moments that he felt like Superman. The first was when he breaks the cuffs and goes up to the glass and starts talking to them behind the glass. And the yep. second one was when he brings that missile down and talks to the army guy at the end and says, I noticed that you're doing blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't advise doing that. And he's not threatening. He's not saying, I'll kick your ass. He's saying, no. it's a waste of time. I don't think you understand just how powerful I am. And that's what Superman, if he's going to, you know, piss in the snow, so to speak, or mark his territory, he's going to do it in an understated way like that. Like, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm, I'm here to protect everyone. But, but don't make me angry because, you know, I can do things that you can't or whatever. And it's not really a th – it's almost like a veiled threat, but it's, it's coming from a place of, of control. i got to tell you, you know – across the board when people are complaining about this, one of the things they're saying is like, oh, you know, I'm cool with the casting and I don't really have a problem with uh, the music or whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty okay with the casting, you know, but none of it makes me forget about that Donner film. In other words, Amy Adams is no threat to Margot Kidder's legacy. What she did with Lois Lane was better than everything, every single scene Amy Adams had in this movie. Margot Kidder beat the crap out of her. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne had, had nothing to do. Christopher Reeve was 24 years old in that movie. And the first moment you see him in that suit, there's no question. He just walks away with the thing. And yeah. Cavill, I mean, he was either scared or whiny or he had that furrowed brow. And Zod, much as I love Michael Shannon, you know, once you come right out of the gate, and you've already turned it up to 11, <laughs> yeah. there's nowhere to go. You know, yeah. think about Terrence Stamp and the power that he exudes in that second movie by doing very little. Zod, you know, just screamed his face off the whole time. And when it finally got to their fight, I thought the movie was over. Right. When the carnage, and let's talk about the carnage now for a second. When the carnage ended and then Zod gives the speech and says, You've made me angry, and you've you know you've pissed on my soul or whatever, and runs at him. 
I'm like, are they going to fight now? I thought it was over. Yeah. You know? Well, the fact that they couldn't just have him get sucked up in the Phantom Zone later, or with, with everyone else, or find a different route than his ultimate demise, is just so weak yeah. and awful. But But leading up to that, I mean, Superman... With all those fights, there was a Smallville fight, and there was the you know that the Metropolis fight, both of them. And if there's a giant ship hovering over Smallville, and the bad guys come out to hassle Ma Kent, don't you think anybody in the neighborhood's going to go, "Hey, didn't Clark Kent used to live there?" Yeah. Could he be the guy? Like the the fact that Lois could figure out who he was in this film, and the military couldn't. Yeah, because she made no sense. She seemed so bright. You know, she seemed like she was really with it. But, like, you know, starting with the fight in Smallville, it's like Superman would... There's so much empty space in Kansas, you know. Oh, God. Take that fight two blocks over, and you're not destroying IHOPs and Sears and 7-Eleven, and your town and the people you grow up with and your mom. I mean, that... The, it seemed like the only person he was concerned about saving was Lois. Did they, but, 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 see, my question is, did they put this carnage in there and the building? Did they want us to walk away and go, oh, my gosh, all those people, those poor, innocent, you know, people that now that's the that's how bad these Kryptonians were. That's the that's the that's the price we pay for, you know, having or do they just not think about it? Are we just supposed to not notice it? Because both Star Trek Into Darkness and this one, this one puts that one to shame as far as the body count. I mean, they decimated a whole city. There must have been tens of thousands of people killed because of this frickin' fight. Do they think we're not going to notice that the city's been destroyed? Yes, you have to. And, and the, just the fact that you know, the, the the whole thing with the world engine or whatever, you know, there's two on either side of the world. There's one in Metropolis in the middle of it, and then there's one in the Indian Ocean, and that's the one he goes after? Yeah, and see... Not the one that's squishing people and destroying blocks every second, every pulse? What's funny about what you just said as well is I barely know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, I'm not sure I even remember that in the movie, you know? this One other thing, too, and this could just be where I saw it, I saw it in the Cinerama Dome. It was the single loudest film I've ever been in in my life. Like, I went out to the lobby. It must have been, like, the last half hour. I was getting so bored. I went out to the lobby to get, like, another soda or something. I had to, like, raise my voice to the guy behind the counter to order the thing because it was so loud even in the lobby. And add all the explosions and fighting and... Look, I'm the guy that complained and said, I want to see him fighting some bad guys in the air and everything. I, you know, thank you. I got that. But I didn't need 20 minutes of it. 40 minutes of I it. I mean... It was not 20 minutes. It was 40 minutes of that film. Wouldn't you say that the just their fight alone, just the Zod and Superman fight at the end, wasn't that a good 15, 20 minutes? Yes. I mean... What the? Can we find some middle ground? Well, if you think about, you know, again, you know, we, we'll go back to what we've seen before with the Marvel movies, you know, with what we saw in Avengers, with what we saw in Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3 had sort of three big set piece fights, 
and then everything else in between was character. It was out of the suit. It was him talking, still being, you know, Tony Stark Iron Man, but uh, it wasn't relentless punching for 40 minutes at a time. And Avengers, you know, in that giant fight in Manhattan, there were members of the team trying to protect civilians, and then there were some people fighting aliens. At no point did you see Superman go, i got to get that building. I got to, you know, yeah. this is what's making the fight harder is that I'm trying to save these people, my adopted people. I got to make sure everyone's okay before I take this guy on. And that's what's making my life miserable right now. At no point was that. It was just the harder I punch them, the longer I punch them, uh, the better this will be for me. I, I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine what what that script looked like. He just didn't seem very effective to me across the board. And now we'll get to the ending. Now we'll get to the controversial. Um, well, can we? Should we just say it? Yeah, sure. I mean, we're you know the the controversial ending um, and um, Superman, you know, snapping uh, Zod's neck and killing him. So Zod, you know, he's he's. I mean, because he was going to hurt four people. Four people. The city has been decimated. But the, the problem with that, and I just, I can't, I mean, I say this all the time when we talk about this stuff, and it, 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 it gives me a headache, literally, where I just go, there are, this isn't like two guys in their garage making a movie. There are dozens upon dozens of people involved. They hash this story out for ages. They work on draft after draft after draft. These things that we're talking about, they're so basic why they're not brought up, I just, you know, so now we got the end and it's like we haven't even established anywhere in the film or in Superman's character that he, quote, does not kill. No one's ever said that. He's never said, well, here's my policy. Here's what I won't do and here's what I whatever. But you've got so much power. Why don't you? Well, I won't do that because that's wrong or, you know, whatever. You know, again, it goes back to the Star Trek Into Darkness thing where it's like, you think that this goodwill has been built up for these characters because of the history we have with the original characters that what you're going to do here, you know, redoing Wrath of Khan, note for note, in uh, the death and all that stuff, is going to carry the same weight. It won't because we had all that history with those guys uh, and brought that into... Wrath of Khan. It's funny. That's exactly what Ralph Garman said as we're talking about this before I even got the words out. He said the very same thing. He's like, the reason that worked is because we had a history with these with these people. This is something for him to be pushed to the point of having to snap this guy's neck. First of all, again, I, I, I look at it and go, was there no alternative? Was there nothing you could have done to, I don't know, make him pass out? If you could break his neck, why couldn't you put the chokehold on him and get him to pass out or something? But the point is... But at this point, we know, I mean, he already blew up his ship full of Kryptonian babies. He did that himself. Right. You know, just like, oh, we're going to wipe that out. Which, if you had saved that ship, remember there was that one pod that was open? See, I don't even remember pod? I don't even Don't put him in the sleep pod. I don't even remember this. I'm sorry. You don't remember? He had the, there was like the Fortress of Solitude ship where he's talking to his dad. Oh, and that thing. Like, do we need another Jor-El ghost? And how come he knows so much? Shouldn't he only know 
what he was alive for? Or, like, how does he know all the stuff that's going on currently? You know what I mean? Well, that wasn't him, though. That was a program. Whatever. So, so the thing is, like, with the, with the death thing, it's like, that's something that you, you get to after you've established some history with this guy. Or you've shown that he's been in these situations where he won't do it. Or it can't happen. Or do you remember... Um, I mean, this is not exactly the same thing, but it's it's a decent example. Do you remember um, la 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 Batman Beyond? I remember Batman Beyond. Yes. Wait a minute. Was it Batman Beyond, or was it the um, was it the special uh, Return of the Joker? That was the Batman Beyond Batman movie. Beyond, yeah. where we saw the day that Batman hung up the suit. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. He picks up a gun. He, we see his future, and he's getting older, and something happens where he's not as, as spry as he was, and he picks up a gun. And, you know, the bad guy runs off, but he's just visibly shaken, like, I can't believe that just happened. That's it. I'm hanging up the suit. Well, we've got this history with Batman that we know his character inside and out, and we know that he doesn't use a gun and would never do that. So it carries that kind of weight that it would be enough for him to, to hang it up. Well, we don't get any time with Superman to understand what his character is, to, to bring us to this ultimate place already. You know what I mean? To, yeah. To, I don't know. It, it's, I could go on and on about the problems. It, it was so, such a disappointment, and I was so looking forward to it. Um, I can only hope that with the next one they're going to – they're going to get it right. Uh, I, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, there's some people that are saying that, well, now you use, you know, this is how you say when you bring in the second film, you bring in Lex Luthor, and then he can go, look at this guy. He was one of the guys that destroyed the whole city that I've rebuilt. We should hate him. You know, I don't know if they're thinking that far in advance, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. It just it just seemed like it did. It shouldn't have been a Superman movie because that wasn't Superman. And I, and you know, I love the Donner movie too. And I'm not saying I don't hold it that precious that I'm not saying you can't make changes in Superman. But right. they threw away things that weren't broken. Like those were the things you needed. That's what makes him super. That's what makes him the 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 prototype. You know, the the template for everyone that came after. Give me, give me. What, tell me what you're talking about here. Just the just the sort of uh, goodness, <laughs> you know, in him, the caring, the the protecting, uh, that that just wasn't evident anywhere in the, in that film. You, uh, he liked Lois and he liked his mom, <laughs> and he took real good care of them. But every, anyone else, you know, was collateral damage. Well, you're you're but you're basing this on. The watching the film. No, but you're, I'm saying you're basing it on the carnage, right? I mean, there was nothing. There was nothing evident anywhere in the film, even before the the carnage. Really, I mean, there, there was just no evidence of it anywhere that he that he cared about humanity. I mean, yes, yeah. It did. It did seem. It seemed like he. It like his biggest concern was himself. Yeah, was like finding himself or figuring himself out or. What is my place in the world, or what's going to happen if I do this and don't do that? Um, you know what I mean? It, it didn't. Um, 
it didn't it didn't seem he seemed very selfish yeah i mean that that you're not my father that is probably one of the worst if not the worst lines ever out of a hero's mouth in one of these movies <laughs> you're not my father you're not my dad like yeah. you know garmin said it we just started laughing he goes he goes you know it's funny he goes He's, he's raised by the two sweetest people on the planet, and he still ends up a douchebag. Like, yeah. how, is he, how is that supposed to make us sympathetic to this guy? Yeah. You know? Like, really? That's what you're whining about? And then Costner's like, no, it's okay, honey. He's right. I'm not your dad. Oh, here comes a tornado. Yeah, let's, let's hold that thought. This would be a good time for me to never come back, for you to have that hanging over you. Um, yeah, it just was it – was, Unfortunately, all those fears I had seemed to have come true. And, uh, uh, you know, that's another problem where the, the, the female villain was more interesting and had better stuff to say than Zod. Yeah. And that's not saying much because a lot of this dialogue was, was pretty bad. There was some, some bad stuff. And then you got to bring in that army lady at the end like what are you smiling at oh, oh my gosh well he's pretty hot sir. like you're joking and that was supposed to be carol ferris for gosh sakes it was yes she's listed as carrie ferris in the in the credits so she's supposed to be carol's like sister i i guess why didn't they just get what's her name blake lively yeah because they're not in the same universe yet. They're not? No. But they... Um... This is not in the Batman universe. This is not in the Nolan Batman universe. And as far as we know, Green Lantern is not attached anywhere either. I don't think... There were certain Easter eggs that attached itself to the larger DC universe, but they are saying that this is the, the first film in whatever the new thing going forward is. Uh, give me the Easter eggs, and then we got to wrap this up. What are the Easter eggs? Uh, so there was, you know, we saw LexCorp stuff quite a few places. Yep. Uh, we saw that at the end that when he goes and runs into that satellite, it was a Wayne technology satellite. Uh, oh, I that. The, yeah. The, in Metropolis, one of the buildings they flew past said Blaze Comics. Uh, Blaze Comics is the comic book company in the DC universe that eventually is, uh, I think owned by Booster Gold. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So there's some stuff like that. You know, and then there was like, you know, Keelix was the little robot at the beginning, and that was part of, you know, we've we've seen him in, in like the original Man of Steel comic book reboot that John Byrne did. What and robot? That Those little robots with the liquid metal faces that hovered around. Oh, yeah. Sent- okay, those were robots? Yeah. Little Kryptonian sentry things, but the other thing you have to think about is, you know, you talk about like the that awful John Peters idea that he made Kevin Smith write. The gay robot. There, were polar, there was there was a polar bear in this. <laughs> Those world engines looked like giant spiders. Wait, what polar bear? There was a polar bear in this one. When? Like walking around. You did you? you it's like you didn't even see this film. Where was the polar bear? Uh, where they were in the Antarctic. It was when he was like, you know, when he was a logger serving beers and stuff. There was a thing they showed an ice flow with the polar bear walking by. 
I mean, it was the, when he was looking for that chip. I it must, was the buried chip. I must have been opening up my caramel corn. I don't know. That's the other thing. The guys hassle him in the, or hassle that waitress in the bar. And then he, he goes out. Not that it wasn't a cool mo- moment on screen, but he does something to the guy's truck that is not humanly possible. Yeah. And no one is going to notice this. If you're trying to keep a low profile, you know, <laughs> putting a giant tanker truck upside down and like throwing logs through it is not, you know, might arouse some suspicion. And then you leave that job and move on. And it was like, well, maybe it was that kid that just quit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I don't know. And then, like, they did the ship that, that Lois is in, and he finds some stuff out, and then that story kind of just goes away. Right? And then no one seems to care about that ship anymore? Or am I wrong? No, that's, that's the one that's got all the little Kryptonian babies and stuff in it that he slices in half with his heat vision. There were babies Destroying in there? All the, yeah, there was one of those little Genesis chambers in there. It was part of that, it was their, their pioneering mission, you know? There was like a dead Kryptonian in a sleep pod, and then there was an open sleep pod that they never explain. This shows you... Like someone got out. This shows you how unimpressed I must have been with this movie, because there are bits, I don't, I don't even remember this stuff. And I'm thinking, why can't you, you know... There's nothing to say those Kryptonian babies could, you know, be raised and, you know, shrink them down, put them in the bottle city of Candor, and there you got that little thing, you know, send them off and let them be tiny Kryptonians, and then you're still living in that world. Did Candor but, come up at all? Never. No. Okay, because I, I would have remembered that. I'm just trying to think of ways, you know, that that solve that that ridiculous ending, you know, With, like put Zod in Candor. Oh, you mean the way that? So you had a real problem with with him. Killing Zod. Yeah, you did. Just that, just that awful, violent, like snapping of his neck. Yeah. Now, how much of this is being influenced by the fact that your daughter was there? Uh, oh, I would have felt the the same way, regardless. Because I, you know, I didn't have so much of a problem with it if if it had been established a little bit better. If we had had a little bit more history with Superman to know that this is him being pushed. To his breaking point. I mean, it works. It works for those of us that have a history with Superman and really know the character. And I'm not saying that that people don't know the character, but I mean that particular aspect. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think your average layperson knows what Batman's hangup is with guns or that he won't pick up a gun. I'm not sure that right. your average, you know, but I think Batman fans know how large that looms in his legend. Yeah. Uh, you know, with Superman, I think you need to establish this, yeah. you know, before you, you take it to the, to the limit, in the words of the Eagles. Anyway. So, yeah, hugely, hugely disappointing for me. But, of course, you know, these are our opinions. You are free to, to make up your own. Go see it. You know, it's made a... A crap ton of money. Yep. Uh, and hopefully they will learn from their mistakes and move on, and we'll see something better and happier and more enjoyable for Justice League or whatever comes next. It's just ironic to me that, that A, Marvel keeps getting it so right for the most part across the board. They, they seem to really know what they're doing and really, really map it out. 
And I'm talking yep. about even just the little things. And these things that we're, we're nitpicking on, a line of dialogue here or there is all it takes to yeah. explain some of this stuff away. Yeah. That's all you need. I don't need to rewrite the whole script. Just a, 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 a quick line of explanation fixes something. And that goes for Star Trek and it goes for Prometheus. You know, it, it, it's all you need to tie things together. And time after time, they just don't, they don't do it. They don't, it's too much of this, we'll fill in the blanks ourselves shit. There's too much of that lazy writing where we got to figure all of it out ourselves or eventually go to the internet and, you know, go to a fan site that explains everything. Just put it in the story, put it in the script, you know, it's a lot easier. But, uh, yeah, so disappointing. Are you more or less disappointed than Star Trek? Oh, absolutely more. More, more disappointed. Yeah. 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 I, I would, I, yeah, I would, I would, yes, I would say Star Trek, I could see again next week. I'd be okay to see it again, even with the problems I have with it. Superman, it was sensory overload at one point. It just was like, I wanted this thing to wrap up. Yeah. I hate to say that, but I really was, I'd had my fill of the, um, of the fighting, you know? Oh, well. Maybe next time. Yep. So, well, there you go. That's a that's a feature-length podcast in itself. That's right. That's a whole lot. Lots, lots discussed. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. And um, if you did dig it, that you don't hold it too much against us that we didn't. That's right. Yeah, yeah. As always, your mileage may vary. That's correct. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week. All right. Bye. Shiny. Let's be bad guys. I know Kung Fu. Show me. Behold the secrets of nature's deepest mystery.